Thank you, Pastor Joe. I love the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you. It's been a while, if I'm honest with you. So uh, you pray for me. Um, listen, I want to share a little bit about myself just to kind of uh, to, to move into Mark chapter 2. Mark 2 is going to give us this picture of Jesus that can fill us with so much hope. But in reality, we first maybe need to acknowledge some real hard things first. And, and to do that, I just want to share a little bit of my story. Um, I, I grew up in Alaska. I know that's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, my parents divorced when I was five, and my dad uh, gained custody of my sister and I when my mom didn't even show up to the custody case. So I was abandoned by, by my mom uh, at five years old. I can count on my hand how many times I saw her. Now, I don't, I don't say any of that to, to gain your sympathy or to make you open to me. I think what I'm sharing is more really a, a common human experience. I think if I open it up to any of you, you could all share stories similar or maybe even worse. And uh, Christian psychologist Diane Langberg says, trauma occurs when suffering overwhelms normal human coping. Those who are victims of such things as rape, domestic violence, child abuse, trafficking, the violence of our inner city, and war are often traumatized humans. They live with recurring memories of atrocities, both witnessed and endured. The memories infect their sleep, destroy their relationships and capacity to work, torment their emotions, shatter their faith, and mutilate hope. The wounds of trauma are not visible. Their effects are. If we look out unflinchingly on God's world today, we will see thousands upon thousands who live with violence in the home or on the streets. We will see humans trafficked like slaves for sex and for labor. We will witness soldiers and civilians terrified from the wars, others from natural disasters, and the major worldwide crisis of a throng of refugees fleeing trauma only to find it again in the journey and in the camps. The total number of those suffering from trauma is staggering. You're like, all right, yay, I'm glad I'm at church. <laughs> Boy, Chris, you're going right to the heart. And, you know, I struggled with how do I get us to that, that edge, right, where, where we can all know what I'm talking about, where, where when I say something, like, we can all get it right? And I think if I took a poll tonight of people who have experienced traumatic uh, experiences in their life, it would be really surprising just how many of us are affected in deep ways by the sin of others against us. And yet so little is said or done to help those who deal with its consequences. Trauma victims are told over and over to bottle it up and move on. 
leaving them isolated and alone on a perilous journey. But this is not, this is not the way of Jesus. Listen to what Langberg says again. Trauma recovery needs tears. Tears honor the victim and the tragedy of what occurred. Tears express buried emotions that haunt sleep and disturb life. Psalm 56 tells us God collects our tears in a bottle and writes them in his book because we matter. What happened matters, and our feelings about it matter. We will help and honor others in their recovery if we learn to live, to be like God in the way we treat feelings and help them record their story by listening to their words and tears. I believe Mark 2 offers us a vision of that kind of Jesus. A Jesus who sees us in our darkest place and he moves to the pain and the mess rather than walking away from it. In fact, what we're going to see in Mark chapter 2 is that uh, there's this group called the Pharisees, right? We just got through Galatians. We're kind of familiar with these, who these people are. The, 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 the Pharisees were more concerned about keeping rules and laws, but it was often at the expense of people. And they had lost touch in a lot of ways with humanity. Jesus himself, I think, embodies a clearer picture of what it means to be human than even the Pharisees do. In fact, I think Mark chapter 2 represents and gives us a picture of Jesus in a unique way. There's this phrase at the end of this first section in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. He says, the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins. It's a unique phrase. I, when I first read through this passage, I wanted to be like, yeah, Jesus is showing he's God. He's, he's, he's given it to those Pharisees. And yet, sorry, <laughs> and yet, Jesus is actually doing the opposite in this passage. It took me a while to kind of get my heart around this idea that Jesus isn't out there trying to tell everyone he's God. He is showing someone who's more diminutive and, and, and pulled back and reserved. He is the son of man. In other words, Jesus is man. And the significance of that for us is that he is well connected to and well aware of all of the, the things that we experience as humans. This is important. It's important that we have a Jesus who, who can relate to and is concerned for all of the things we, that we experience as people. And so the, 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 here's the thing. Here's what, we, what I want you to see as we dig into Mark chapter 2. All right? The good news is Jesus sees us. He understands us. All right? 
but he also wants to do something about it. All right, so Jesus is the son of man, and he has authority to relieve the burdens of the broken. All right, Jesus is the son of man, and he has authority to relieve the burdens of the broken. So we're going to see kind of two points borne out in this passage, and we're going to we're going to just try to. There's really uh, four different little stories through Mark two, the healing of the paralytic, right, and then there's this section where he calls Levi, or who is Matthew. Um, there's this section about fasting, and then a section about the Sabbath. And in these first two little pictures, these first two interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees, this is what we see. Jesus uses his authority as the son of man for the good of those who are broken. Right? Look, let's read together these first 12 verses. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith probably the faith of the paralytic and the four people who went through all this effort, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Here's a couple things I want you to notice from this passage. First of all, Jesus is concerned not only for the soul of the paralytic, right? He forgives his sins. But I want you to notice something else. He's also concerned about the body of the paralytic. Right, we talked about trauma in the introduction. Trauma is something that happens in our bodies, right? We, we carry hidden scars of the things that have happened to us. And our muscles act like, a, uh, like storage of, for these memories and these emotions. And we can be in certain places and we can smell certain things. And it can trigger a certain reaction and fear and response. And we may not even feel in control of it right? It's, it's too easy to, to think of who we are as humans as simply 
what we do or don't do. We talk about being idol factories, but how often do we talk about the fact that sin is all around us and it affects every part of our lives? And we need Jesus to show up, not just to forgive us of our sins, but to also heal the areas where we, we don't even know where to start. The pain is so deep, the pain is so real, that we're afraid to even go there. But Jesus does. Jesus goes there with the paralytic. It is important to see that there is an organic connection between healing and forgiving of sins. The the one commentary that I was reading was saying that healing is a sacrament of forgiveness. That that there is a a picture when, when Jesus was healing somebody, it was a picture of what he was doing when he said, you're forgiven. Jesus seems to understand humanity at the core in a way that the Pharisees simply do not. And it's interesting because Jesus' pronouncement of forgiveness and his power to heal are a statement of his deity. In fact, the, the Pharisees are freaked out. He's blaspheming. Why is he doing this? Here's what I, what I would suggest. It's not that Jesus is claiming deity. It's the way he's using his deity. If Jesus had led an army to overthrow the Roman conqueror and return the promised land to its rightful owner, I wonder if they would have struggled with his claims of deity. No, Jesus exposes the Pharisees' lust for power and using people to get it. And in this way, he shows true concern and understanding for the human condition. And and the second section kind of bears this out even further, right? This section where he calls this tax collector. Let's read that together. Starting in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then Passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, They asked his disciples, why does he eat with with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So how, what is the significance of this passage? Well, tax collectors um, were not really well liked in Jewish culture. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would kind of compare them to like a PPA parking attendant. <laughs> that's, that's how I see the tax collector. Um, tax collector was someone that was usually Jewish that worked for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes for the emperor from the people of Israel. 
But here's what they would do, right? There was the tax, let's say it's 10%. Well, I'm going to take 13%. You know, they were taking extra on, on top of, of what was required. And, and, and to the people of Israel, they represented really the worst, you know, community people. <laughs> they were the opposite. Um, and, and it just so happens, I, I think that what Mark, this section does for us is it helps once again begin to show us this growing gap between the Pharisees and Jesus. You know, the Pharisees could seem to only see people for what they did or did not do, whether they fulfilled the law. And in this case, they were often ceremonially unclean, right? They, they were interacting with all sorts of people. But here, this is the interesting thing. You know, you look at Levi, and, and he's sitting there at his toll booth, and Jesus comes and he says, follow me. And what does he do? He gets up. And he follows him. I mean, obviously, this is kind of the way Mark runs, right? Like, it's very hard, fast-paced. I do this. He says this. This happens. But I suspect that Levi had been watching Jesus from a distance and seeing the things that Jesus was doing. And Levi was aware that he wanted what Jesus had. And when he was given the invitation, he followed. And, and here's, so then he follows him, and look what else happens. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. Right? They may have been the lowest of the low in Jewish culture and society, but they saw something in Jesus, and I suspect that they saw something about themselves that the Pharisees didn't see. They recognized that they were broken. They recognized that they needed this healing that Jesus was giving. Right? It's kind of sad to think if, if, the, Pharisees, if the Pharisees had really realized who Jesus was, would they have been among that crowd clamoring for Jesus? Would they have been like the, the four friends of the paralytic doing everything they could to get their friend to Jesus? And in, all, in both of these cases, what you see is that Jesus uses his authority as the son of man for those who know they are broken. Let me say something. I, as someone who has experienced significant trauma, I didn't even, I, I shared just one little piece. One of the hardest things for me to go through was to identify it and name it. To talk about the abuse that I experienced from my dad. To talk about and, and, and call it what it was. But it wasn't until I was able to see it and to say it and to express it and to understand how it affected my life 
It wasn't until then that I could realize how much I needed Jesus to heal me. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to go to those places in our heart where we feel scared, where we don't know what's going to happen if we go there. But I just want to say that Jesus is going to be there with you. And if you call out for him, he's going to come meet you there. And he's going to show up and he's going to heal you and he's going to do work. And and listen, it's not easy. It may take time. But there is hope. Trauma and difficult experiences and pain lead us to believe that we have no hope that there's nothing beyond what we're experiencing. And yet Jesus shows in the way that he interacts with the paralytic, in the way that he interacts with with the, the tax collectors and sinners, that he is a doctor of the human heart. Secondly, Jesus calls a tax, excuse me, I'm sorry. Secondly, Jesus uses his authority as the son of man to give rest to those who know they are weary. Look at me in verse 18. Series of questions. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the, while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will feast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Here's the point. Jesus relieves the need for austerity because of his presence. The idea of a wedding groom, you know, you wait to eat right until the host comes. Well, the host is here. Jesus' presence is here right? He gives us rest because he is present. And this idea of of these, these two pictures, right? The patch being put on an old piece of cloth. What happens when you wash the new patch? It shrinks and it tears the cloth and it makes it worse than it was before. And, and the wine, when it's put into an old wineskin, wine expands, the gas expands, it tears open the wineskin. In other words, what Jesus is bringing is new. What the, what the Pharisees were doing, what the disciples of John the Baptist were doing, they didn't matter. And in this, again, you see that Jesus is concerned for the humanity of his followers. He's not trying to put more burdens on them. He's removing them. And then in this last section, Jesus teaches 
that Sabbath was not meant to be applied at the expense of human flourishing, right? He uses this example, this story from the Old Testament. Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And, and here's the main point. There's clear rules and regulations regarding the temple, regarding this, this, um, these offerings that were in the temple, and it was meant to be for the priest. And David and his soldiers come in, and they've been on the run, and they've been in battle, and they take the food because they're hungry. Right? This just lays open bare this huge, vast gap between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees want to continue to apply the, the, the law of God in a way that hurts people. And Jesus, honestly, he just blows it wide open. Mark chapter 2 really serves. It's like, it's like he, in Mark chapter 2, there's a fuse that's lit. And it's going to blow up in Mark chapter 14 and 15. Because from this point forward, the, the Pharisees are so scandalized by who Jesus is and what he does that they are trying to find a way to take him out. And it's not until Mark 14 and 15 that they do, that he's deceived, he's, um, he's taken into custody, and he is crucified. And that may sound like terrible, terrible news, but it's actually really, really good news. Jesus loves you so much and is so concerned for you and what you have experienced that he is willing to go all the way to the point of death to serve you, to bring you freedom from those places of pain. And here's the amazing thing. This picture of Jesus as a man, right? The son of man. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as our great high priest. Jesus knows and, and intercedes for us because he was a man. We have the presence of Jesus through his spirit and he, he understands us and he loves us and he is present with us and he is fighting for us and his death, while scary, ultimately he overcomes death. Right? There isn't a weapon that is turned against you that Jesus hasn't overcome. And you can be here tonight and you feel like there's no hope and there's no way out. And what am I going to do? How is this bill going to be paid? Fill in the blank, right? Look, I don't know how Jesus is going to show up, but I know that he will. Because he already has in all of the ways that we need it. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for showing us yourself in a way that is relevant to who we are. You know, there's these stories in the Old Testament of Jesus showing up in a burning bush and of God and on his throne. And, and those are great and those are amazing. But Lord, we need this picture of you as a man. We live ordinary lives beset by sin, beset by constant struggle. And we need this picture of a Jesus that not only understands but cares. He acts and moves towards us. He heals And ultimately, he's going to raise us from the dead. Lord, I pray that you would apply the balm of the gospel in all the places in our heart that need it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.